Welcome to BDO in the Boardroom, a podcast series for board of directors and those charged with governance. Each episode features a topical discussion with board peers and subject matter experts on both trending and timeless boardroom issues, covering a myriad of issues including, but not limited to, mitigating risk in the increasingly digital world, navigating your board career, from landing your first board seat to succession planning in support of the next generation, to other top-of-mind issues such as ESG reporting, shareholder activism, and the insights we share through the BDO Center for Corporate Governance and Financial Reporting. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes or Spotify. Let's get started. Hello, I'm Amy Rojic. I'm leader of BDO's Center for Corporate Governance. I'm very pleased to be joined today by my colleague and friend, Dan Harris, to speak about the scope of the state of California's new SB 253, Climate Corporate Data Accountability Act, as well as its new SB 261, Risk Reporting Rule, and how both private and public companies need to be prepared. So first, allow me to introduce my guest. Dan is a member of BDO's Sustainability and ESG Leadership Team, where he's focused on leading and developing BDO's ESG assurance and reporting services, and he also works with clients on their financial statements and internal control audits. In these roles, Dan has worked with businesses ranging from startups to international public companies, providing advice as they transition through the various phases of their growth. Dan earned his undergraduate degree, interestingly enough, in biochemistry at the University of Oxford in the UK, and then transitioned to the accounting field, where he earned his accounting credentials first in the UK, where he started his career with BDO's London office, and then became a CPA in the United States, where he now works for BDO USA based in San Francisco. And as I mentioned earlier, Dan is currently our assurance lead on ESG attestation considerations. So Dan, welcome to BDO in the boardroom. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. All right. So first off, you live in California. So my first question is, was it surprising you to you to see these new climate rules pass? Yeah, so it was not surprising. I think the trend, certainly globally, is very much towards more regulation across all aspects of ESG, but particularly in climate. There's a um, kind of climate first approach that we're seeing a number of geographies take. And then California in particular does have a track record of having passed a number of regulations related directly or indirectly to climate. Just to give a few examples there, um, there's a clean cars regulation, zero emission buildings regulation, plastic pollution prevention rule. So the release or the issuance of the climate rule is very much in line with trends that we're seeing globally and then also in California. And I think I'm right in saying that this was not the first time that some of these bills were proposed and they were voted on during the 2022 session and made it past the Senate, but did not make it past the Assembly. I think at that point they were one vote short. Okay. So I guess tell us what's in these new rules, as in my review, it indicates that they will potentially pack quite a punch for a lot of companies. So perhaps we start with Senate Bill 253. Okay. So Yes, these bills pack a punch, albeit in a in a relatively short documents. So both bills um, that we're going to talk about here are brief, um, just a few pages. Um, and the California Air Resources Board, CARB, 
um, will provide further uh, detailed guidance. It's expected um, before the end of the year. So starting with SB 253, the Climate Corporate Data Accountability Act. So this rule captures, as you mentioned in the intro, not just public companies, but also um, private companies in the US with total annual revenues of more than $1 billion in the previous fiscal year, and that do business in California. And we'll, we'll get to what doing business in California uh, means in a later question here. So under this rule, annual reporting is required. Um, and that reporting would be published to a digital platform that as yet has not been created. Um, it requires companies to annually disclose and obtain independent assurance over their scope one, two, and three greenhouse gas emissions with reporting aligned with the greenhouse gas protocol. So scope one and scope two, um, reporting would be required in 2026 on 2025 information. Um, the date by which that reporting um, would be required in 2026 is still to be determined. Scope three, reporting will commence in 2027, covering the 2026 year. Um, and the date when scope three information will be required to be reported is um, set out as no later than 180 days after the scope one and scope two information are reported. And I mentioned the rule does have a requirement for third party assurance. So it requires limited assurance over scope one and scope two right out of the gate. So on that 2025 information that's published in 2026, that would then transition to reasonable assurance over the scope one and scope two information on the information that's reported in 2029 and will be released in 2030. It's anticipated that limited assurance will be required over the scope three information at some point, but the date for that is uh, to be determined um, and just worth noting here that the assurance provider is required to meet uh, specified experience and independence requirements. I'm assuming those will, those will be spelled out probably in, in further detail at some point as well. Perhaps yeah. you can explain scope one, two, and three reporting in a little bit more detail because I know different different standards. I think they're trying to maybe align, but um, want to explain further the difference between limited and reasonable assurance as well. Yeah, happy to touch on both of those. Um, so, in at a very basic level, um, scope one, two, and three, um, it, it's a mechanism for referencing the grouping of greenhouse gas emissions from a company's operations uh, based on the source of those emissions uh, and it's established in the greenhouse gas protocol. Um, so scope one, uh, direct emissions that are produced by sources owned or controlled by the company. So think company owned machinery as an example there. Uh, scope two, uh, indirect emissions. Uh, typically from the use of electricity purchased by a company. And then you get to scope three. These are also indirect emissions, but um, cover emissions up and down a company's value chain. So would cover purchase goods or services, 
would cover uh, emissions from the use of the products that the company sells, would cover emissions from business travel, employee commuting, and um, other emission sources in the value chain. So scope three is um, a very broad category. Um, and for most companies would represent the majority of total emissions. So typically between 70% and 90% of a company's overall emissions um, will uh, be from scope three. Um, and while we're talking about scope three, it's worth um, noting that for larger companies who are in the scope of these California rules that will be required to report scope three, they're going to need to collect that information from other companies in their value chain, which could include a number of smaller companies. Um, in the case of banks and investors, who are required to report on these new rules, um, they'll need to collect information from companies they lend to or invest in. So there's this waterfall or kind of trickle down impact of these rules on smaller companies that may not be directly caught by the rules, but um, will very likely be impacted indirectly if they're in the value chain of a larger company that is captured by the rules. And I think that's important to emphasize because I think a lot of companies look at the you know initial scoping in or out based on their size, based on their revenue. But if you think about it, you really have to understand where you fall in in the value chain, as you just described, to be in the supply chain. Because if you are supplying companies based in California, you need to be very aware of this because they're going to be asking you for information. And to the extent you can't deliver that information, that may affect some of their you know, decisions on whether or not they can actually continue doing business with you. So I, I think yeah. that's, it's, a, it's a brave new world at this point. Yeah, and we're, we're already seeing that from... Um, some companies who are voluntarily reporting um, already, and they are sending requests to um, other companies in their um, value chain requesting uh, information from them, and in some cases requiring that information um, be attested to. So I think the other piece of the question that you'd asked was just the difference between limited and reasonable assurance. Um, so two terms that are used you know, very commonly when we're talking about um, climate rules and ESG um, regulations more broadly. Um, really limited and reasonable are terms that come from um, European standards. The equivalent terms in the US technically are reviews and exams. So review corresponds to a limited assurance engagement and exam corresponds to a reasonable assurance engagement. Uh, Exam is analogous to an audit. Um, so when um, auditors are uh, undertaking engagements, when we issue opinions as part of an audit engagement, um, we're issuing an opinion that the information is materially correct. When we issue an opinion for a review engagement, the opinion states that we did not become aware of any material modifications. So it's a subtle difference, but but it's a meaningful difference. Um, and in um, cl with climate regulations at present, um, limited assurance is most common. Um, the California rules and 
vast majority of other rules. Start with a requirement for limited assurance and then plan to transition to a requirement for reasonable assurance over time. Um, and in terms of the practical differences between a limited insurance engagement and a reasonable assurance engagement, uh, limited is based generally on analytics and inquiry, whereas reasonable is based more on verification of data and agreeing uh, data back to supporting or source documents. So for those who have um, had the pleasure of working with auditors at public companies, you can think about the level of work that's performed for the year-end audits um, as compared to the level of work that's performed by the auditors for quarterly reviews. Um, so limited being lower in scope, it does place a um, lesser burden on the uh, the company team and um, generally is lower cost. Reasonable, on the other hand, more robust exercise, more likely to identify any errors in the information, uh, provides additional insights, particularly around process and controls, but with that attracts a higher cost. So what about the second regulation, Senate Bill 261? So yeah, Senate Bill 261, SB 261. Uh, so this one also applies to both public and private US companies that do business in California. Um, this time the revenue threshold is lower. Uh, it's 500 million uh, in the previous fiscal year. Uh, and reporting uh, under this rule is required every other year and would be published on the company's website. So requirements in terms of what needs to be reported uh, are disclosure over the climate-related financial risks and measures adopted to reduce and adapt to climate-related financial risk. That's required to be in accordance with the TCFD or Task Force on Climate-Related Financial Disclosures. Covers um, topics including governance, strategy, risk management and metrics and targets and for SB 261 assurance is not required. Okay. Got it. So so both laws make reference to doing business in California. So you you mentioned that earlier. So please explain exactly what this might mean. Yeah, so this was a this was a popular topic of discussion when these rules came out. Um as I mentioned, they were um, short documents with um, relatively little detail, with additional detail to follow. So the laws currently don't clarify exactly what it means to do business in California. Um, CARB, California Air Resources Board, um, will um, provide further guidance here. The requirement potentially uh, may align with um, requirements set out by the California Franchise Tax Board. Um, and so they consider a company to be doing business in California if it meets any of the um, of three criteria. So if it engages in any transactions for the purpose of financial gain within California, if it is organized or commercially domiciled in California, or if it has California sales, property, or payroll that exceeds specified amounts, and those specified amounts are relatively low. So if you meet any one of those three, 
uh, at least under the California Franchise Tax Board requirements, you would be deemed to be doing business in California. So the expectation is that for um, any company really with activities, any kind of activities in California, you would meet that doing business in California um, requirement of these two rules. Got it. All right. So, so one other climate disclosure bill in California that we should perhaps address is AB 1305, which covers the voluntary carbon market disclosure. So maybe you can give us a little flavor of that as well. Yeah. Uh, so this is an assembly bill. It was introduced in the assembly as compared to the two uh, Senate bills um, and requires disclosure in three areas. So it requires disclosure around emission claims, carbon offsets bought or sold, and carbon offsets sold or marketed. Uh, it applies to entities that operate or make emission claims in California or buy or sell carbon offsets in California. Interestingly, the information is required to be made publicly available on a company's website starting January 2024, so the beginning of the year that we are currently in, um, and uh, no, no assurance requirements within AB uh, 1305. Seemingly, this might be a little bit of a sleeper, bill that people should be uh, made aware of immediately. Yeah, I mean, similar to the other rules, um, it included um, very limited specificity uh, within uh, what was published. So an area where we would uh, recommend companies consult with their legal counsel as to whether um, the company is in scope and disclosures required, um, particularly given that initial timeframe for when those disclosures are required to be made. Right. So one of the questions I think everybody is truly concerned with was with how much um, convergence, I guess, is there. So how do these relate to requirements at the national and international levels that we're, we're seeing being developed by various bodies? Yeah, so definitely a kind of plethora of regulations being passed around the world um, in this area. There, there is some good news, I think. So the greenhouse gas protocol and the uh, TCFD requirements um, that we that I mentioned are um, that the new rules are based on, that they'll be familiar to many people. So they're referenced in the SEC proposed climate rule. Um, they are part of the ESRSs, the European Sustainability Reporting Standards that form part of the CSRD, the Corporate Sustainability Reporting Disclosure Requirements in the EU. And they also are part of the IFRS Sustainability Standards. Um, so a lot of standards out there, but um, Many now are using um, kind of common underlying um, standards or frameworks uh, as they're determining what requirements um, are are needed in accordance with these international standards and the standards in the US. So worth noting here uh, that in Europe, uh, the regulations requiring mandatory reporting of 
primer, so the E and ESG, but also the S and the G as well, are already in place. Um, so for the very largest companies, um, they will be required to report their 2024 uh, information. And then there's a phase in for, um, for other companies over the next few years. Uh, in the US, uh, the notable rule um, that a lot of people are focused on is the SEC proposed climate rule that I mentioned. Um, latest on that is that it's expected to be finalized in April. But as uh, I suspect many people are aware, that has been um, pushed back a number of times. And the last piece I'll mention on the international front is that under these California rules, U.S. subsidiaries of international companies that meet the criteria um, would be required to report. So these rules will impact uh, international companies to the extent they do meet those criteria. Now that's that's really helpful. Thank you. So so I guess as an auditor and a member of our sustainability and ESG leadership team, and someone who works with companies on these types of disclosures and reporting all the time. What do you recommend that companies do to prepare for these new California requirements in particular? So specifically thinking about the California requirements, um, and this applies equally to any regulation, new regulation is for companies to determine whether or not they would be in scope. So work through the requirements um, and determine uh, whether they're currently in, sco in scope and also whether they you know, may be caught in future based on the um, expected growth of the um, company. If you are a international company based in the US um, and have not yet evaluated whether you will be um, within the scope of some of those uh, European regulations I mentioned, um, definitely worth doing so. As I mentioned, um, they start impacting companies yeah, very soon. So if you um, have determined that you're in scope and you are a company that has already reported on any ESG metrics, um, then the next step would be to take inventory of the current state of your ESG reporting. And with the California rules in mind, um, a particular focus on the climate component, the, the E, um, so looking at what reporting frameworks you're following for your uh, current reporting, um, making sure there's appropriate um, delineation of management roles and responsibilities of board oversight, taking a look at the process and controls, um, particularly with a mind to the assurance requirements, um, and then also taking a look at the resources currently assigned to that reporting and evaluating whether uh, any changes may be needed there in light of the California rules. So that's for companies who are already undertaking some kind of uh, reporting on their sustainability metrics. Conscious that for many mid-market companies, um, they may not have undertaken any voluntary disclosures uh, around climate to date. Um, and so a, um, uh, a move towards complying with these California rules may be the first time the company's assessed its efforts um, needed to um, 
to comply with any kind of ESG reporting. So if you determine you are in scope with the California rules and have um, not yet begun evaluating what will be involved, um, definitely something that um, you do not want to delay. Um, for some companies, the exercise of collating information for scope one and scope two reporting, which is going to come uh, soonest, it, it may be relatively straightforward, but for others um, it may well be a heavier lift. And I think it's important just to have a sense of um, where in that kind of spectrum of effort um, your company falls. And I'll, I'll note here that scope three, that um, emissions looking up and down the value chain is likely to be a, a heavy lift for, for all companies. So I'd be remiss if I didn't um, talk specifically to readiness for assurance. Um, so I'll put my um, assurance hat on here. Um, some steps to consider in preparing for the assurance requirements under the California rule. So I mentioned this previously, but definitely a um, evaluation of the process and controls that are in place or need to be in place around the collation of the climate data that will be reported. Um, make sure there's clearly documented steps um, that are undertaken to gather that information um, with a focus around any estimates. Uh, it's common to see um, in a, a, a number of estimates involved in reporting of climate information. Um, take a look at the sourcing of data, um, where the source data is coming from. Um, typically, companies are needing to um, request that data from a number of different functions within the company. It'll span real estate, procurement, uh, customers and vendors. Um, and in connection with that, just identify which systems um, or software are used and um, whether those uh, that software has been documented and tested. Beneficial to take a look at resources. Um, additional resources will be needed to comply with these rules. Um, and consideration should be given to both the availability of resource, but availability of resources, but also the expertise resources um, to prepare for these rules with assurance requirements really need individuals who have experience in both climate reporting and um, have experience in uh, being subject to audits and often need to look to different individuals to provide um, the experience in both of those areas um, and then the last point i'll mention here um, I think we'd recommend identifying where a company may need external help. Uh, for many mid-market companies, the expertise needed may not sit within the company. Um, really important to plan ahead here. Um, it's anticipated that there will be a high demand for um, expertise in this area um, right before the reporting date, as is the case with any new regulation that, that comes in. And I think companies will want to be making decisions as to um, the external help that they seek um, in a timely manner so that they can identify a firm who are um, the right fit for them.
Great, Dan. So as a board member or senior executive sitting here in in Q1 of 2024, who may be waiting on the SEC rules, I'm going to just reemphasize some of the key points you just shared, because I I think, you know, we're at a point in time where it's, it's not a time to be sitting back and, you know, in anticipation of something. We're, we're already here. So number one, don't wait to consider the landscape of regulations that your organization may be scoped into, including considering that through the lens of where you fit into the supply chain of other companies. Two, I heard take inventory, including voluntary as well as required material disclosures under current SEC rules in place of your ESG reporting with the emphasis on the E for purposes of our program today, um, that your company may already be doing and really consider the adequacy of the frameworks, processes, controls, the governance, as well as the resources involved and the gaps that you're going to need to potentially fill. Then reconcile your current readiness for the audit attestation requirements. So if you think of some of the more recent major, you know, accounting standards and rules like lease accounting and revenue recognition that required more than just computations, but truly required consideration of estimates, the data needed, the systems around collection of those data, the controls and the process changes. And then last but not least, line up any needed assistance now as both internal and external resources will become a lot more challenging to find as everyone kind of clamors to to do this in, in sync. So Dan, tell me what I may have missed. I think that was a great summary. Um, and I, I do think it's important to keep in mind um, reporting requirements under the uh, under any international um regulations as well for those companies who do have presence um overseas but yeah great a great a great summary well you you did all the hard work i just chirped it back (laughs) well thank you dan i really appreciate it obviously this is a um, evolving area so we will be staying close in tune with international developments um national developments here in the U.S., as well as looking at some of the more um, heavy-duty state regulations that are that are coming out, like California and others. So thank you so much for your time, um, and thank you for our audience participation, and stay tuned for more uh, exciting programming around the ever-evolving sustainability reporting environment. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks again for having me. Thank you for listening to BDO in the Boardroom. Past episodes and related insights are available at bdo.com slash BDO Boardroom. Or you can go to iTunes or Spotify to rate, review, and subscribe. The views expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect the views of BDO. For more information on the BDO Center for Corporate Governance and Financial Reporting and the resources we provide, visit bdo.com slash BDO Knows Governance.